It is a big day for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That's the agency set up in the aftermath of the 2008 economic meltdown. It was touted by Democrats as a Wall Street watchdog that would protect ordinary Americans, and it was derided by Republicans as a source of burdensome red tape for lenders. Today in Washington, an 11-judge panel heard arguments in a case that will determine the CFPB's future. The court could curb the agency's powers, give Donald Trump the power to fire the director for any reason, or even abolish the CFPB altogether. With us to talk about the CFPB and the many legal issues surrounding us are Adam White. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institution, and Mike Coxall, who's here with me in the 991 studio in Washington. He is a fellow at the Roosevelt Institute. Um, Adam, uh, let me just kind of start with the, the basics of this case. Um, can you just explain what, I know you may not kind of agree with the case, but just explain if you would what the CFPB thinks that this mortgage lender, PHH, did wrong. Oh, I have to admit, I'm more averse in the constitutional issues than, uh, than a lot of the, uh, the, the dispute on the enforcement action. I mean, in a nutshell, the CFPB concluded that PHH was misleading its customers, um, which is something that was w well within the CFPB's statutory uh, mandate. But the question uh, that suddenly has come to the forefront of this case is whether the CFPB itself is unlawful in terms of its uh, structure under the Dodd-Frank Act. Well, let's okay. Let's go ahead and, and jump to, to that issue, um, Mike. The uh, why don't you tell us what the uh, this was originally heard by a three-judge panel, uh, and now it's being heard by a broader uh, set of judges at the D.C. Circuit. Um, the the three-judge panel uh, essentially said that the because the CFPB was headed by a single director and because the president could only fire him, uh, you know, for a particular reason, that the agency had had too much. Uh, was too unaccountable. Uh, do you agree with that reasoning? Right. So in response to the PHH, uh, which was, you know, kicking back uh, consumers to mortgage insurers for exchange for kickbacks, which was, um, you know, Richard Cordray and the CFPB raised the fine, which was the basis of this lawsuit. But this um, panel argued that because the CFPB uh, has a single director and the single director has a term that is longer than any one presidential uh, administration, so it's six years instead of four years, uh, that there is, an, in, in essence, no public accountability or a lack of public accountability in regards to the broader administrative state. Um, I think it's a wrong ruling. But before we get there, it's worthwhile to talk. A lot of people are talking about the existential threat to the CFPB, the idea that the CFPB itself is unconstitutional. But this was a very conservative three panel judge, uh, three judges. I don't think that's controversial. They're very conservative. And if you read the, the decision, it was very big picture. They're talking about the history of the administrative state and the Constitution. And at the end of the day, it's a very limited way they interject in the CFPB. They didn't overturn old rulings. They didn't significantly limit the powers. They essentially said that they had the, the director had to be fireable at will. Now, again, we'll talk about the accountability of the CFPB. It's, I think, much broader, much more holistic than just this one decision. But at the end of the day, whether, however this comes down, the CFPB will largely thrive and continue to do its work in the way the people envisioned it. Well, Adam, one argument that's being made by the company in this case is that the three-judge panel didn't go far enough, that they should have just struck down the entire agency rather than just changing the rules for firing the director. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, it's true. The court could have gone further, much further. Um, I don't know that it's fair to sort of just describe the court's thorough decision 
too ideological leaning. I mean, if that's the case, then it sort of uh, it disparages all judges on that court, including the Obama appointees that heard the case today. But the fact is that uh, Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Randolph on the three-judge panel saw the CFPB structure as being unconstitutional under both existing precedent um, and under the Constitution itself. They could have struck down the entire act, but I think they took the right approach in trying to solve the specific constitutional problem that they saw, namely uh, the CFPB director's independence from the president, um, his, his grant of, of limited independence from the president, combined with the fact that the CFPB director, unlike the traditional multi-member commissions, including the ones on which uh, Elizabeth Warren originally proposed to model the CFPB, uh, the CFPB just lacks that multi-member uh, commission structure. I really, I just fundamentally disagree with uh, with the criticism of the panel decision. I think it's actually very well rooted in the original theory of independent agencies going back to the 1930s, uh, and I think it was a very thoughtful uh, dissection of that precedent and ensure in order to ensure that that precedent was not extended into something still further, uh, like the CFPB, which I do think is much more independent uh, and much less accountable uh, than my friend suggests. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. Donald Trump hasn't said much about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau itself, but he's been unsparing about the law that created it, known as Dodd-Frank. You know, Dodd-Frank is a disaster. We're going to be doing a big number of Dodd-Frank. We're talking about the federal appeals court, appeals court argument today that deals with the structure and powers of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Our guests are Adam White of the Hoover Institution and Mike Conksall of the Roosevelt Institute. Uh, Mike, uh, Adam was talking before about uh, how the CFPB is perhaps a little different from, from other agencies uh, in Washington. Is, is it really so unique, as unique as the three-judge panel said it was? I don't think so. It was very. If you look at the legislative language and the people who are creating it, it was very purposely designed to look like the Office of Comptroller of the Currency at the OCC, a bank regulator that was seen as being too bank-friendly and, and downgraded consumer safety. It has a single director, uh, it has a dedicated funding source, and it has a dedicated mission, much like the OCC. There's a lot of debate about whether or not you can fire the OCC director, the president could. Uh, it hasn't been done, and it's legally ambiguous. Um, you know, there's many agencies like the CFPB, the Social Security Administration's uh, agency, FHFA, that has the thing that's under, uh, under review right now. I don't think there's any good reason to think a commission structure is more accountable to the public. I mean, the Constitution doesn't design specific agency structures, it's, it, and so it should be viewed holistically. And, you know, we know Richard Cordray is in charge of the CFPB. You know, what can we account for the dysfunctia at the SEC or the CFTC? And you have five people all point to each other. And just as a last quick note, you know, the CFPB has a uh, – Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has a ton of factors that ensure accountability from mandatory audits to not being funded by the industry itself, a big regulatory uh, capture driver can be overruled by other regulators, and it has the baseline administrative law that all the other agencies have. So I want to make sure we understand that the people who designed it designed it to be accountable to the public and to consumers. Adam, let me ask you to respond to that. Pick, pick whatever parts of it you'd like. Well, there's probably more parts in there that we have time to fill. I mean, everything from suggesting that the CFPB is meaningfully reviewed by other agencies when, in fact, the other agencies have an extremely limited veto over a small subset of CFPB rules, not enforcement actions, and they have to have a supermajority vote. But just in general, I thought it was interesting the way he tried to compare the CFPB with the OCC. 
uh, because, of course, the CFPB is not like the LCC for the very reason identified by the D.C. Circuit panel. The CFPB director can only be removed for cause. The LCC, uh, the head of the OCC can be fired at any time, so long as the president just communicates his reasons to Congress. There isn't a real serious debate over that at all. I think at the end of the day, the real virtue of the panel decision was that it looked back at the original origins of independent commissions, the fact that they were seen as quasi-judicial and quasi, or quasi-legislative. They're constructed to be more like courts or like Congress than sheer executive power. And the reason for that is, as we all know, a deliberative body is fundamentally different from a, a single-headed agency for the re- reasons that the framers identified in the constitutional debates and the, the Federalist Papers to the reasons we see today. When the FCC makes a policy decision, sure, it might wind up going in the direction the president wants. But first, it has to go through meaningful deliberation with the members of the commission pushing against one another's arguments and then issuing a majority opinion and dissenting opinions, which then make the record all the more fulsome when it goes to judicial review. A single-member agency like the CFPB or the EPA enjoys all the energy of a president, but without any of the inter, uh, intra-agency checks that multi-member commissions have. I'm not saying that one form of agency is better than another, but I am agreeing with the panel that if we're going to have an independent agency, uh, this limited exception that the Supreme Court drew up in 1935, the general rule of presidential removal power, well, then it needs to be structured like those quasi-judicial, quasi-legislative bodies. If, on the other hand, we want an agency that's energetic, like the EPA administrator, well, then we need to make that agency fully accountable to the president, who has a constitutional duty and an oath to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Mike, I want to at least touch on a, d- a different issue, which is the position of the Trump administration. So in-, in court today, there were three different parties. There was a company, there was the CFPB, and there was the Trump administration. And the Trump administration's position is in some ways a, a middle position. It basically said, do what the three-judge panel did, leave the CFPB intact, but give the president more power, the power to fire the director uh, for any reason. Were you surprised, given Donald Trump's rhetoric beforehand, that the administration didn't go further and say throughout the entire agency? I wasn't totally surprised. Um, You can see the House Republicans, which uh, obviously have been big critics of Dodd-Frank and the CFPB from the get-go. This year, they've changed their focus on how to change the CFPB and their ideal legislation, something called the Choice Act. Last year, they wanted to replace the CFPB with a commission structure, with a dual mandate to kind of weaken its its, um, regulatory mission and change the funding stream. This year, in the new version of their Choice Act, uh, which just went through House Financial Services Committee, they want to keep the single director, presumably because they think that – and make them removable at will by the president – presumably because they think that they can do more to undo Dodd-Frank with a single director than by working through a commission structure. Um, so that change was a little telegraphed in advance. Um, you know, it was interesting that Donald Trump did not try to fire Richard Cordray, as many people encouraged him to do, for either either claiming he had the right to do it or for misconduct on day one or early on in the administration. It seems like they've taken a little slower approach than some some of the more energetic people might have thought. Adam, we only have about 30 seconds, but uh, what happens if, if the Trump administration position prevails? Does Donald Trump uh, immediately fire Richard Cordray? Well, it's hard to say. I, I, he could. I think, he, as, as my friend says, he already has power under the statute to do so. There's plenty of for-cause justifications, whether it's the allegations of racial discrimination within the agency, the lavish overspending on the part of Director Cordray, 
The court raised profound and sustained refusal to meaningfully respond to congressional oversight. There's more than enough reason under the statute for President Trump to fire him or under the Constitution. I want to thank our guests, Adam White of the Hoover Institution and Mike Conksall of the Roosevelt Institute.